there's not sensitivities around that as often as there is with suicide. And so how do you approach um, the obituary? How do you approach um, at school, the empty chair or at work? I mean, are we acknowledging when um, a kiddo dies by cancer the same way that we acknowledge if they die by suicide? Um, how do we memorialize a person when that happens? Um, and then how much do we share if we do know anything that led to this decision or this struggle? And so um, there's just an, an extra amount of intensity around death by suicide. And so there really does need to be um, sensitivity in the support with that and a recognition that this isn't just losing a loved one. This is also a trauma that they've experienced. Welcome to the With You at Every Step podcast. We address your healthcare questions and help you navigate life's challenges. Our guests share their expertise and real-world advice related to care for older adults, grief and healing, and pregnancy and parenting. Every Step is a nonprofit healthcare and human services organization offering dozens of programs that are there when people need us most. Learn more about our free and low-cost services at everystep.org. Thank you for listening. Here is our host, Polly Carver-Kemp. Thanks for joining us on the program today. Our guest, uh, again, is Ashley Mori. She's the Director of Grief and Loss Services at Amanda the Panda, one of the uh, programs of Every Step Grief and Loss Services. And um, Ashley, I have to ask you, um, since I'm talking about Amanda the Panda a little bit, you know, I grew up in this area. Well, I didn't grow up, but I was an adult in this area. Uh, and so I knew what Amanda the Panda was. But if there's someone who's new to Iowa um, and they're wondering, what is, what is Amanda the Panda? I hear that a lot. Can you give us just kind of a brief history of, of how that name came to be? Yeah. So Amanda the Panda has been around since 1980. Joanne Zimmerman founded it really to help kiddos with pediatric cancer at the beginning. And she had camps for kids that were experiencing pediatric cancer. And she had a mascot that she wanted to have there. And she looked for a name that meant with love. And that was Amanda. So Amanda the Panda was born as the mascot and the name of the program. And so after a few years, really what she learned from doing those camps is that there is collective grief and there is family grief and the whole family needs served as well. And so Children's Cancer Connection really took over the uh, specific kids pediatric cancer camps and Amanda the Panda began running camps in general uh, for those ages five through the lifespan when they've experienced the death of a loved one. And then from camps grew support groups and from support groups grew school groups and from that grew holiday programming and socials to have fun and grief after you've lost someone and all sorts of other supplemental programming uh, throughout the years. So wow. it's really expanded since 1980. It has. It's it's a great legacy and, and it does. It seems like um, our programs at every step just keep expanding and becoming more useful for for those who are grieving around us. And one of those topics, unfortunately, is suicide which um, is a, a, a situation, a topic, a, a phenomenon in society now that, you know, used to, you know, I'm probably giving away my age, but it used to be, wow, you know, somebody took their own life and it would be 
an outlier. It it was very unusual. Um, and now I I think most of us uh, at least know tangentially someone who has gone through a suicide um, as a suicide survivor, knowing um, knowing someone who has died by suicide. And that brings with it a whole special uh, realm of grief support services. And um, Every Step has really stepped up to that challenge. Um, so we'll talk about some of the resources that we have too. But um, gosh, that is so hard as, uh, as a person standing by um, and watching somebody suffer that kind of grief. So how can we help um, a suicide survivor, and that's the correct term, isn't it? The person who has, uh, who is living after the death by suicide by a loved one. Is that correct? You're a suicide survivor. That can certainly be the term used. The only thing I would add to that is to make sure that the person that you're talking about, if in specifics, feels comfortable being referred to that way. It's appropriate, um, but not everybody likes that terminology either. So it can be specific to individuals as well. I love that you just said that, Ashley, because we get so caught up in in names and and labels and we think this is the right way to say it. I won't offend anyone if I say this, uh, but really it's all about an individual and, and just what you just said, just seeing how they feel about things. Yeah, just asking. Just, a, just an aside there I had to throw in, but um, what are some of the... Um, the misconceptions about suicide. I think we all kind of have in our mind, oh, well, I understand, you know, what happened there. Um, and really, no one really understands, do they? Um, even the people closest to them. Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to suicide. Um, and I can kind of run through a few of the them that come up more often than others. But by no means would I be able to cover all of them because it is definitely um, interesting what people will come up with in terms of trying to understand and grapple with loss with, with suicide. So I think um, one of the ones that we hear really often is that those that die by suicide are selfish and that they you know, should have thought about how their actions impacted other people and that they didn't. And it's really quite the opposite. Sometimes suicide can be an impulsive decision and they're not even thinking about anybody else. Um, and other times, the majority of the time, what we learn is that they really were doing what they thought was best, whether that's for other people or because they were really struggling and they didn't think that things would get better. And so uh, it's really not it's quite the opposite of being selfish and um, expecting a person, a suicidal brain to think clearly and to really think through how is this going to impact others is not something that necessarily happens. So it would be unrealistic to think that they were just being selfish when they, when they died by suicide. So um, I think the other things that we hear is that they must have been mentally ill or crazy or they were being bullied. Uh, really, that's oh, people trying to come up with a reason why this happened. And um, most suicides aren't 
because they were mentally ill. Are there some? Yes. Uh, but they could also just be incredibly upset and lack coping skills, lack support system. Um, they could feel great despair. It doesn't mean that they were clinically diagnosed with, say, major depressive disorder. Um, they could have just been in extreme distress and emotional pain. And so it's not always mental illness. And it's and with teenagers, it's not always bullying. Of course, that can be a component. And of course, that can happen. But it's a real misconception to that just constantly is kind of where the storyline tends to go. Um, and it that doesn't apply to everyone. Uh, oftentimes, people think that those that die by suicide have planned it all out. Uh, and just as I had mentioned before, it can be an impulsive decision. And so they don't always leave a letter. That can be another misconception. And so sometimes you don't get an explanation and we're left filling in the blanks, trying to figure that out and trying to figure out, did they think about this on their own? But that doesn't mean that that's the true storyline. Um, and also people think that if they talk about suicide or they mention it in the obituary or they're sharing how the person their person died in conversation that other people will die by suicide because of that story. I've heard that a lot as well um, in grief work. And uh, it's really quite the opposite, which the more education you get, the more uh, conversation, open and honest conversation and understanding you have around something, um, the less likely you are to die by suicide because you will understand the impact that it's having on everyone and you will understand like if you talk about all of these things that you're going through and the emotions that you're feeling um, and just how it's impacted not only family self but community then oftentimes people will really think twice if that was something they were thinking about um i, I think also People sometimes believe that those that die by suicide are looking for attention. Um, and if they just would have gotten a need fulfilled, they they wouldn't have done it. And that's not true either. Um, there's not necessarily like a clue or a warning or that if I would have just done this, then it would have gotten better. Um, I mean, it's really important not to ignore any signs. Whereas if somebody says that they are thinking about it or that they can't see a way out or something like that. We, we always take that seriously. Um, but because yeah, anybody that talks about that needs to be listened to, but they're not looking for attention um, when they're threatening to die by suicide. Again, not trying to blanket statement that that there hasn't been a time that someone somewhere has, has um, sought attention in that capacity. Uh, but that's pretty rare in comparison when people talk about those things you really need to tune in and have those conversations and believe what you're hearing. All of these, uh, all of these points you bring up make me think, I don't want to say more difficult, but how unique the grief must be um, for someone whose loved one has died by suicide. Because not only are they, I would imagine, um, dealing with just the grief of loss, all these questions must be going through their their minds too. You know, did I miss a sign? Did you know, why did they do this to me? Was I not loving enough? Um, that has to be very very difficult, right? There's also just an incredible amount of intensity that comes with suicide. 
uh, because you are learning to grieve the loss of your loved one. And at the same time, you also have to grieve the trauma that has been experienced. And you also have to process that. So it's twofold when you experience a traumatic loss. Uh, and there is a certain, uh, I would say there's extensive or extra things that need to be done that don't have to be done around um, physical health uh, reasons that people die, like with cancer or Alzheimer's or like anything like that. People don't tend to really ask a lot of questions or um, there's not sensitivities around that as often as there is with suicide. And so how do you approach um, the obituary? How do you approach um, at school, the empty chair or at work? I mean, are we acknowledging when um, a kiddo dies by cancer the same way that we acknowledge if they die by suicide? Um, how do we memorialize a person when that happens? Um, and then how much do we share if we do know anything that led to this decision or this struggle? And so um, there's just an, an extra amount of intensity around death by suicide. And so there really does need to be um, sensitivity in the support with that and a recognition that this isn't just losing a loved one. This is also a trauma that they've experienced. Well, and we've talked about uh, in in a previous podcast about, you know, just being there for somebody uh, who's grieving and, and uh, you know, it's sometimes people who are grieving feel like they're isolated. I'm imagining that's all the more likely um, when there's a suicide involved because you really don't know what to say to someone, excuse me, someone who's grieving that kind of a death. Yeah, I think people do really struggle uh I think even unknowingly, sometimes they struggle with being compassionate, like in the moment, because if you again, if you've never been through that, that's something that's really hard to wrap your head around and it's hard to get the words. And at the same time, it's so important to recognize that this is a loss, just like any other loss in that they still want to talk about their loved one. We don't want to just talk to them about how they died, but let's talk to them about how they lived. That's just, that's a that's a great great piece of advice because that's what's left now are the memories and they're not gonna I mean I would imagine the thinking all day isn't about uh, you know the the means of death it's about the loss of a person you loved and so you're thinking about that person yeah right. And you don't necessarily have to talk with them about the trauma part I mean that can be something that you you offer a listening ear, but if you're not an expert, then by no means should you have the expert uh, responses, right? So you can just be there and listen, but if you, but you can definitely be there to talk about their loved one's life. We talked previously about how to talk with children about death, um, and unfortunately, uh, children um, have parents who die by suicide, and how. How do you deal with that when you're when there are children involved? I think just like the other losses that we've talked about, it's really about meeting them where they're at and being honest and encouraging questions and feelings and getting them supports 
um, being aware of like what your support groups and all that kind of stuff are for them. But also in terms of supports, being aware of like faith and spirituality and how that's impacted because uh, people have certain beliefs around suicide and their faith. And so is that going to be a support or is that not going to be a support for them? Um, it, being aware of like holidays and anniversaries and all of that is different if they are still hold anger and resentment or maybe they're they're really struggling with certain emotions. Maybe they don't want want that acknowledged. So it's it's again, I think it's more recognition of that there's loss and trauma and to be able to talk about that and how you have to process through both of those. And sometimes you process through them separately and sometimes it's it overlaps. Um, and kids need to be able to understand and see suicide as traumatic and and help to name uh, what traumatic means and really most often the best way to explain that is to say that it really shatters a person's worldview we look at the world in a certain way and we expect or hope things to you know that we're going to see our our parent grow old or that we're going to see your child get married or have kids or whatever milestones we envision. And those are the way that things are supposed to be. Um, and so then when they change and it doesn't happen that way due to death and especially death by suicide, then that kind of shadow shatters that worldview and you can lose trust and you can lose um, predictability and understanding of how the way things are supposed to be. And so to be able to have those discussions about how that's what trauma feels like and it feels really unsafe and confusing at times. And then on top of that, you've also got the the grief of the loss and the, the physical loss of a person not being there anymore as well. So I would say that that's the best way to have those conversations and and just to have respect for that that need to grieve. I know every step has the traumatic loss grief support groups. And uh, I suppose that uh, those groups are especially helpful in dealing with all the emotions, not just, of course, sadness, but like you mentioned, anger or, I, you know, I don't know where I stand in the world anymore. Um, you have special resources for those kinds of emotions, too. Right. I mean, our groups are focused on not only the peer-to-peer connection, but learning feelings and how to cope with those feelings, um, and then getting education in addition to that, not only about grief, not only about trauma, but then about how to um, incorporate how you feel about something with what you can do about that, things in your control, things out of your control, um, and then just being able to um, have people that are present there with you and having a, a place for it because it can be so overwhelming. That's the other part that our, our groups really provide is that when you lose someone, your whole world is turned upside down and everything is impacted and everything changes. And so sometimes you have to continue to put one foot in front of another and continue on with your days without having the grief, the grief overwhelm you. And so in order to do that, sometimes it's helpful to like compartmentalize that and have a space just for you to be able to completely dedicate to your grief and your loss. And that's what those support groups can be. 
Yeah, let's talk about those those groups for just a second because um, before I um, became involved with with Every Step, you know, I guess my impression of if you would have said grief support group to me, I, I would have thought, well, it's a bunch of people sitting around crying. Um, and you know, they're all feeling sad and you leave feeling sad and you go, wow, that doesn't sound like that would be much, very helpful. Um, and of course that is, I mean, you do cry, I imagine as you're talking about loved ones, but it's more than just commiseration, isn't it? It's, it's like you mentioned finding tools to get you through that day by day process. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times people have that visual of like a church basement and people in a circle, uh, crying. And we do sit in a circle and sometimes we do cry, but for the most part, you know, it's a really intimate setting where you can choose to share your story of your loved one. And again, you, that story is completely your narrative to have. So you can share how they died, how they lived, um, anything you want to share about your loved one. And you, you're given that dedicated space in the group. Every person in the group is. Um, and you also don't have to. You can just be surrounded by other people who are sharing. Um, and then there's also an element of education where we listen to podcasts or videos. Um, maybe we read some excerpts from uh, somebody who's gone through grief or a poem or something like that. And we we have different ways, uh, different learning styles that we make sure are incorporated uh, we have art projects. Not everybody loves art. So then sometimes we journals. If you don't love to journal, then we'll just have conversation. Sometimes we play a game. Um, there's all sorts of different ways that we can educate and like learn coping skills uh, in different ways that people learn. And basically you take what you need and you leave the rest. So if something's not for you, that's completely okay. Um, but more often than not, the feedback that we get is that um, they really felt like people really feel like they have a safe space. And even if they didn't enjoy the activity or the, or what we would discuss that day, there's rarely a person that doesn't enjoy being there for someone else or learning something new. So that's really kind of what a support group looks like more than um, everybody crying and crying feeling pretty sad <laughs> yeah and, and, you know I've mentioned that I've had the opportunity and the privilege to talk with folks who have taken part in our grief support groups and um, a lot of them say you know when I thought about going to this I thought I don't know if I really want to do that and go into a room with a bunch of strangers and open myself up you know and and that just feels kind of uncomfortable um, but then they go for whatever reason um, has motivated them. And to the person, they've all said, man, so glad that I did that because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be like. And and I and just what you said, I didn't have to share things if I didn't want to. Um, um, and so it really is. I think you might be thinking, I don't know if that's for me. Um, but once you get there, you might find out, oh, that was for me. Right. It did help and me. And oftentimes that is the experience. And we've also had it where people say, I tried it. It wasn't for me. I really, I do prefer being an individual supports versus group. That's okay too. But you'll never know if you don't try. And I think just like you're talking about most people's experience based on feedback has been, 
I'm so glad I tried because it actually was for me. And it actually was the one thing that really helped to get me through. And it's important to note that all of our grief support resources and programs and, and support groups are all free. Um, there's no charge. Um, of course, that's due to donations, um, of course, from generous people, from uh, grants that we receive. Um, but also, uh, we owe a lot to our volunteers. Um, you know, there's, uh, talk a little bit about um, if somebody is maybe interested in volunteering yeah, with every so staff. From the end of the panda is a staff of five. So we are a tiny team and we serve about 1,600 to 1,800 people a year. And the only way we can do that is to have our volunteers help to run our programming. And so there are so many ways to help volunteer with Amanda the Panda. It could be running a support group. We have facilitator trainings and we walk you through our curriculum. Uh, we can, you can shadow another volunteer and sit in on groups before you join. Um, if you're not comfortable with that side of things and delivering programming, we have everything from uh, the yard work to keep the uh, her space looking nice to um, helping out with our holiday programming, um, being able to help us move to our event space and wrap Christmas presents. And we also have um, volunteer opportunities with our socials to be able to help people to have fun and guide them through different activities. I mean, the, the list really goes on and on. And we do have all of those um, outlined on our website as far as what different opportunities there are. Um, and it's really just a matter of contacting our program coordinator of volunteers and she'll meet with you and run you through all the opportunities and the things that you are interested in and then talk about what the next steps would look like. There, uh, there are uh, so many opportunities um, if you're looking for volunteer work with every step it, through the grief and loss programs. But in every aspect of what we do, I think there there's a volunteer opportunity there. But if you are the one right now going through some sort of grief. Um, there are so many resources available to you and you may not know where to start, but our staff does know where to help you start. So if you uh, would like inf more information, go to our website. It's uh, everystep.org and then slash care, everystep.org slash C-A-R-E. It's a little online form. There's like, I think maybe four questions on there. Um, it's confidential. There's no obligation. Uh, it, there's no cost involved. Uh, you just simply say, hey, I need help with this. And or maybe I'd like I'd like to volunteer and they'll make sure they get it to the right person. And then and someone will reach out back to you. So it's uh, it's a low stress type of outreach to our organization. Ashley, thanks for being on the show today. Of course. Thanks for having me. We're lucky to have Ashley Morey. She is the Director of Grief and Loss Services for Every Step. And that's the uh, program for today. I'm Polly Carver-Kim.